Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and I am joined today for our very first podcast of 2023. So it's, it's awesome and something that we've been trying to get on our calendar for a long time. Uh, but I'm joined here by Matt Reiner. Uh, Matt Reiner is the, is the uh, managing partner of Capital Investments uh, down in Atlanta, Georgia. Matt, how you doing? And welcome to the new year. Frank, happy new year. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be the first of 2023. So uh, hopefully I can help to kick it off on the right foot, but uh, really appreciate you having me and glad we were able to get this figured out. We, we were, uh, you know, again, just despite our, our, our baseball rivalries, we'll put that, uh, you know, I do a lot of, I do a lot of business in, in the, in the Atlanta, Georgia marketplace. So I, so I, you know, I don't, I'm okay with Atlanta, right? If you were the Mets fan, we probably wouldn't be doing this, uh, you know, doing this podcast, but that's okay. Uh, where we agree. That's so, where we agree. Hey, Matt. So, so for my audience, just by way of background, right? Um, so you're a managing partner, a capital investment partners uh, down in you know, the Atlanta marketplace. Uh, give us some idea of, of sort of w- what your firm is about, how it started, right? And then we'll just sort of go from there. As, as, as always, this is just a conversation with, with, with two guys talking about the business and trying to have our audience learn something if, if we, if we possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I can uh, distill maybe one piece of wisdom uh, somewhere along the way, but yeah. So my, you know, quick background, I grew up in the industry. So capital investment advisors was founded by my dad 25 years ago, 26 years ago now. And so, you know, I, I was uh, watching him grow that business and um, you know, fortunately we, we got lucky and we had a lot of success and had a lot of great people as a part of that business. And I was able to join the business and start out as an advisor um, and then, you know, did some things on operations and technology investments and everything around the board. And then uh, we started our technology endeavor, which I then took the lead on and, and headed up going forward but capital, you know, has been a business that has been really fortunate. And, you know, it's a family run business. Dad still manages clients, but it's not involved in the business process, business of it anymore. My brother and I, and one of our other business partners, and my brother really runs a lot of the day to day of that business. And, you know, running a family business is unique. And we can get into some of those challenges and uh, lessons that have been learned. But, you know, dad did a great job of, of bringing us in, giving us our ability, our, our room to, to grow. And, that business now, you know, as like I said, been very successful and growing to serve families, and we judge success by how many families we're serving. So, um, I, I always say to people, growing up, my my cartoons was CNBC, and so I, I watched CNBC a lot growing up, and I used to go in and help uh, identify premium and discounts on closed end funds and do some tracking of NAVs on ETFs and, and all that type of stuff. So I've been around it for a while. And I, I always told people the only thing I would have been doing was being wealth management or, uh, or be a professional baseball player. My, my baseball dreams were, uh, were smashed pretty early given I, I wasn't as big as I thought I was going to be. So, uh, this was kind of the journey. Awesome. So yeah, you actually just, just in the, in that, there's a couple of things that I want to, I want to come back to. Well, you know, I'll just jump right into it. And I know it's something that we weren't planning on talking about, but you talk about family dynamics, right? There's a lot of 
a lot of uh, advisors that listen to our podcast that we work with that have that are part of a family. Um, I, I actually had a call with an advisor today. It was the father son. Father's significantly older, and there's always some dynamics there. And I've seen teams break up because of family dynamics. Not necessarily that they're all one family, but one partner brings in somebody else from the family, right? Uh, somebody else from their family creates some other issues. Um, how have you, to your, and you also said that you got lucky. I, I don't believe in luck, right? I, I believe that your dad saw something, built something, brought you guys in, and not all family businesses work out, right? So it's not really luck. You guys were doing something well that allowed you to be efficient. Dad's doing what he's doing. That's probably, go, I would say, uh, shaking hands and kissing babies, bringing assets in, right? Hey, Dad, that's awesome. Go, back, go out and get another one. But what, are you, what would you say, if you had to sort of point out one or two things that have allowed you to run a family business together, um, not perfectly, I'm sure there's, you guys have your moments, like everybody does, but, um, but what is it that's helped you be successful running a family practice like that? Yeah, such a good question. And, uh, you know, pinpointing it down to the, the one or two things. And yeah, I think your point that you just made there of like, yeah, what has been successful? And I know there's been, you know, challenges. I, I think that that's something that everybody has to understand, right? We've, we've been very fortunate and in, in built a business, but it hasn't been just, you know, all smooth sailing. There's been a lot of challenges that have gone on. And that's in any business, right? You always just look at where they are at the output, but then, but nobody pro looks at the process and the, the, in the process, there's some things that work and some things that don't, it gets messy at times. But I would say that the, the, the two things that stick in my mind right away is, is, is culture is one of the things. And that's, that was established by, by dad from the beginning. Um, and I think it's also a autonomy as well. And, and what I mean by that is I, I think that dad did a great job of building a culture that was surrounded by, people that cared that, that, that and I know that everybody has that business, but it was a, it was a deeper relationship that dad built with every employee, even when we got to 20 or 25 employees. And that's one of the reasons why he wanted to step aside from running the business is once he got to a point, like he never envisioned running a 70 person business. Like that wasn't his, he likes relationships and he built deep relationships and people saw him as a, as a, as a father figure. And that allows for, when people have that belief in in the leader uh, and there's a culture of that in the business, then that transition goes on. And uh, and then that leads into the number two idea with autonomy is that they that dad gave us our ability to go and do different things within the business. And he gave us that ability to fail and ability to learn and was always there supportive, not always there, you know, saying that we were right, but he supported it. And if we did something wrong, he was there to tell us like he was stern. He wasn't just like, oh, freedom. But what that allowed for is it allowed for us, you know, to adopt the same mentality and the same culture. And, and although we have grown and we now have to business size a little bit more, and it's harder to be that family culture when you have 70 people across five different offices in five different cities, it's harder but at the core foundation, that foundation that dad built allowed for it and the autonomy that he gave to me and my brother to go in and learn about what we really like in the business and where we can excel. You know, my brother is an amazing operator. He is a visionary. He's an operator, though, as well. 
and he knows how to run and be efficient and he has a vision for the business and i have my own skill sets of you know from branding to uh technology to 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 relationships as well and you know the ability to give us both those paths and allow for the business to to flourish by us both going down our own avenues and to have the platform and the encouragement from dad to do that it was extremely encouraging. And he didn't force us in this business. He said, you can come if you want. There's a phone and a desk ready for you if you'd like it, but come if you want. And if you do, I'll let you come in. And he was always receptive and to our ideas. Now, he didn't always agree with them and he didn't always like them, but he heard them, which gave us a voice at the table, which gave us now something that we feel that we had to be very, we had to hold on to, right? We couldn't let that go. And so it was something that we had to be very cautious of and, and respect. But it did take dad time to let go as well. Just like we talked in my podcast on Bridging the Gap about you know letting go of control. It took dad a long time because this was his baby. But eventually he had enough trust. He saw enough output from us. And he had enough uh, belief in the way that we were growing because he gave us the reins and we exceeded. And so I just think that but the culture and the autonomy was, was two of the biggest things that I think were extremely important to allowing yeah, Mitchell, my brother, to do and really grow the business as he has and allow me to kind of go and, and build out some of the technology and, and, and build brand and everything on that side. So I'm going to touch on that because having been in the business a long time um, and recognizing that your your dad has been in the business a long time and is a focus on clients, right? And I know what that mentality is like uh, for, for, for some of this, uh, I'll say, more experienced not older, but more experienced. How did you, um, you've talked about efficiency and then you talked about technology. How did you get your dad to recognize and then, and how did you implement technology that creates efficiencies for the benefit of a client? And the reason I ask that question is because a lot of advisors, maybe on the, on the older side of the spectrum, right? Sometimes view efficiency and processes like we talked about on on your podcast right bridging the gap so if you're again now you've heard that twice so you want to check out a great podcast go check out matt's podcast bridging the gap lots of great stuff on there um i was yeah i was here the other night my wife's like why are you still at work i'm like i'm listening to i'm listening to this great content from this guy matt i'm talking to i'm talking to this week it was good stuff but anyway what's your opinion on uh, on efficiencies and process actually leading to increased uh, higher touch service for, for your clients. Um, Cause that's obviously something that you had to convince your dad was a good thing. Yeah. It, you know, that's an interesting uh, question and I don't know if I, my answer is going to be that great to be honest. And, and the reason I say that is that, you know, with, with dad, when we were doing a uh, new when we were taking on new challenges or new endeavors, we always started small and we usually never included him in the sense of like him and his clients. Right? We All would right. just go do it with like our own clients, but he always believed in us. And it was because of how we acted and how we showed up that he said, well, if they have this belief, we didn't take anything for granted. We worked our tails off. You know, me and my brother, when we first joined, you know, nobody in our office wears ties. And I don't even know if this was like worthwhile back then, but like me and him would wear ties every day to work, like 
all the time. Nobody else did because we wanted to earn the respect. We didn't want to just be given it. We were the first people in the office every single day. We brought, we brought in the paper. We made the coffee. We did. We were the last ones to leave. Like we wanted to earn the respect because we didn't want to feel that we were, we were given a great opportunity, but we didn't want to, we didn't want to have that change the mentality. And so I think dad saw that and said, you know what? They're not just taking this for granted. They're working their tails off and I'm going to listen to them. And then something that we talked about in, in, in my podcast was he also said, what's the impact that this decision will make? Like, is it going to lose us clients? Is it going to uh, you know, make our business fail? It's not. So I'm going to let them go and do it. And they're going to learn. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But I'm going to let them go do it and see if it works. And you know what? I'll be an advocate because he needed to be the advocate to the rest of the firm right. that, to, to do it. But he gave us that room to go run. And then if it worked, we would come back and say, hey, this worked. And then he would be even more of an advocate. because. He, but then if it didn't work, you know what? Those times when it didn't work were the times when you know me and him have had the best conversations. Because you know it was like, well, what did you learn? Like, where did you go wrong? And like, it made me realize things that I now was better on. And the reason I say that this isn't a great answer is because dad never really used much of our efficiencies. And, and the reason was is because he was just built in his way. And so for us to build the firm, we built it basically around him and and said, all right. And, and he was a proponent of that. He was okay with that. He's like, you know what? I know that it's good for the greater good of the, of the firm and the clients. And, you know, I'm not going to necessarily lead by example by doing it all that they're doing, but uh, I'm going to try, and if I don't even use it, I'll definitely talk about it and talk about how good it is and what I know about it. Right. So then, tell me. So then, from your perspective, and that's a great. An- it is a great answer because basically, what you said was you understood your audience, meaning your dad, right? And and ha- and you saw an opportunity, and that was using technology to create efficiencies to have better service models, right? So you managed around uh, what you had to do. So can you, and then you talked about our technology endeavor, right? So from your perspective, then, how are you using technology and efficiencies to increase your service model to your clients? You've mentioned it to me on some of our conversations, but you know, you talk about how you're obsessed with efficiency. I love that. Right. That, that's such an awesome focus of, you know, you're like I, in Salesforce and y'all Salesforce, you're talking about how how can we just make it one less click? How can we make it one less click here? And I think that the challenge that we face in our industry is that there's a a few, right? Is that uh, we have so many technologies that we need to use. None of them talk to each other. We're not technologists, so we don't know how to do it. We bring in an IT team. They're more on IT, not in terms of development. They tell us something. We have no clue what they're talking about. We just say, go ahead. But then we try to tell them something, but they think that we're talking about, you know, we tell them about baseball. They think we're talking about football. Like they, they just don't like, it's just, there's a lot of waves. I think the challenge is that our technologies in this industry don't, don't work together. And I think that, uh, that there's a challenge as well, that because a lot of these firms that were established 15, 20 years ago, were just built by one or two entrepreneurs that just did everything, that there's a lack of documentation of how to do things to make it consistent. And now we're 15 to 20 years later and we're busy, we've got clients and we just don't have the time to break that down. And so the challenges that we faced was we had we had to rethink documentation, we had to rethink our, our processes. And then once we did that, we still had people having to bounce around multiple software. So then we had to solve the challenge. How do we bring it together 
so you can do more within less technologies, but still get the power of them. And and I think that that's really kind of the the aha moment for us, which which led to us starting the company Benjamin was, you know, we like all these technologies. We don't want another technology, but it's something, can we bring these together in some unique way to where I can live in Salesforce or I can live in Redtail and I can still get the power of automation even deeper between, you know, a Schwab deposit coming in. How can I create that task in the Salesforce or an alert comes in, how do I make that a task or notify someone, the appropriate person, et cetera. Then that's where we started to open up our minds because I think that efficiency is a matter of how do I, um, how do I do less menial work, right? How do I, how do I do less menial work and do more sophisticated work, which is spending time and building relationships with my clients. And that should be everybody in an organization from from the person at the front desk to the person paying payroll to the person that's the advisor i think that that's important because each of those people can create unique relationships with each of the clients that can get us information to be as a firm better able to serve them and create them this unique experience and so for me when i think about efficiencies and, and what we're doing is that we are striving as an organization to bring people together, to give them one central location to live, to have access to everything that they need within that location to serve their clients. And how do we give them an ability to spend less time in the systems and more times with their clients? And more when I say more time with their clients, not just like you know surface level, go deep with them, right? Get present with them. And that's what we're striving to do. And, and we've we've made a ton of investment in people, investment in technology in order to to help with that mission. Awesome. So basically, Benjamin, so maybe to our listeners, describe what Benjamin actually is. So Benjamin is a is a workflow automation engine. And I think that that's a, that's a big fancy word. But I think the best way to explain what Benjamin does is let's think about how online bill pay works. Online bill pay is a great example because online bill pay at its core is an engine that connects your service provider, your utility company, your your TV provider, whatever it may be, with your bank to execute on the menial mundane task of sending a check. What bill pay, online bill pay eliminated was all those steps that we used to have to do of writing the check, addressing the envelope, stamping the envelope. That's what they eliminated, all of those by connecting service provider and bank. That's what Benjamin is, is an engine that connects your processes and your workflows that you have, whether you've established them or you or you haven't, with your technologies like your CRM, your reporting system, your custodian, your calendar, et cetera, to then execute on menial mundane tasks that fall into one of three buckets. Anything around meetings, onboarding with the exception of filling out paperwork, and then servicing. And so if you think about a lot of these menial tasks that people are still doing, like let's just take the simple one of, you know, it's an annual review meeting. We still have someone at the front desk or associate that's sending the calendar link out to the individual and then following up with them to make sure that they got it and that they scheduled. Like that doesn't need to happen anymore, right? We, you can automate that and and use it based on the frequency of the meeting or the client and or the segment of the client or whatever it may be, send the appropriate calendar link based on the advisor of the client. Like all of that can be automated along with pulling in data that you need for meeting preparation, like performance numbers, reporting data, notes from last meeting, alerts from the custodian, like all that can be pulled in. 
And you don't need to do that anymore because we can access that information and unify it. So what we are doing is we are eliminating the menial mundane by being the connective tissue between processes and technologies. That's the simplest way to think about what, what our team at Benjamin has been able to build. Okay. All, and again, all focused on providing a higher level of service to your clients which is tremendous. And that just to, to relate on that, right? How we judge ROI for Benjamin is very simple. There's two levers that can be pulled. The number of processes that we automate and the percentage of the processes that we automate, right? So we may not automate the entire process, but can we automate more processes or more of a process? Because if we can do that, then that gives, that's taking tasks away from a human, not in a bad way to get them fired, but in a good way to provide them elevation of what they can do, because there's certain things that humans can do, EQ, psychological, conversational, everything of that nature, that technology is not great at. And that's what we need to be spending our time, not on spending time that things that technology can do really well. Awesome. Let's talk about spending time with your clients, because um, I, I thought you had some great stuff online on your YouTube channel. And um, some of the stuff that you talk about is the psychology of uh, of working in conversations with clients. I was watching one that you're talking about having two clients were fighting in front of you and, you know, how to deal with that and all that good stuff. So, but, but I, you know, I've never seen, and I've worked with a lot of advisors and I've never really had an advisor talk about sort of the psychology uh, behind working with a client. W what does that mean to you? Like, why are you so, it seems like you have an obsession in a good way. Like you just like, um, hungry for the knowledge and peeling the onion back and like discovery and what can I find next? You know, what, what question is going to get a better answer? Like, why is it that you're obsessed? You seem to be obsessed with that, the psychology of working with a client like that. Yeah, I think that, <laughs> I, I think that psychology is just uh, amazingly um, intriguing, right? I think that, you know, the idea of managing money, I think that there's a few reasons why I'm obsessed with it. One, it's it's super interesting to me. Like the bad, why do people make decisions that they do? You know, you think about economists are just like, well, it's just because it's the economic theory, you know, you have this, you do that. But like that's not how people work because that should happen all the time, but it doesn't happen ever. Um and I, you know, I think that uh why also is is that because I think that our industry is moving towards an environment where we have to find differentiated value to provide to our clients. It's not just a matter of that we can buy a mutual fund or sell a stock or any of that. That's like, that is the old, old guard. We have to move because that's now becoming commoditized. So we have to continue to find new ways. And I think that that's why I was like, well, what can we do more? And ultimately, if you think about what is our core reason as an advisor is that we are ultimately trying to help our clients reach their their legacy that they want, right? Fulfillment, their financial goals that they have, which is like a, on, the, on the value stack is a little bit lower, but ultimately we want to help them have fulfillment. And the problem that they reach, that they that are challenged by humans, me, you, all of us, is that we get in our own way. We get in our own way. And the reason is, is because of psychology, because of how we think. So if we want to help people overcome that, we've got to understand why they're doing that. And we've got to think about asking questions and, and delivering information in a way that that actually sticks, not just that the client goes, okay, yeah, thanks. Right, like, right. And then walks out the door and is like, what do I do? Because there's a there's a reason. It's not that people don't know that they should save. 
it's not a reason that people know it's not that people know that they shouldn't read the headlines and they shouldn't act on the headlines uh there you know everybody knows they shouldn't do that everybody knows they shouldn't sell when things are bad and they shouldn't buy when things are good but they still do it and the question is is why why we should know that so that we can help them navigate that and it's not because we told you that doesn't stick. We have to figure out and learn about the client to be able to talk about, you know, when did they grow up? I love Morgan Housel's uh, Morgan Housel's book, uh, which is right over here, The Psychology of Money. You know, it, like when did they grow up and what time environment did they grow up and what was happening in that environment? Because that, you know, when they were like 15, 16, that's like really like they're understanding things. That stuff sticks and inherently they don't know it. And so, I just think that um, the reason I'm so intrigued by it is because I want to find ways to help people get out of their own way. And just telling them that they shouldn't do something doesn't work because it, it's, we've been doing that for years or decades and centuries and people still aren't saving enough and they're not retiring fulfilled. So we've got to try something different. And also it's just super intriguing why people make certain decisions and it just does not fall on economic theory uh, as it is. And so um, it's behaviors and we've got to help people make better behaviors. And I think that that's our job. That's really interesting that you talk about the psychology of how they grew up at the time period that they grew up. I think a lot of advisors, they, you know, they, and, and firms, right. Which is, I think a problem that firms are getting into right now is, especially the larger firms, and they're trying to put categorized clients into buckets. Well, if they're this age, you know, if they're, if they're this age, you know, they don't look at it like, well, if they're this age, it's because they grew up during a period of time of, of deep recession in the country. They look at it like, well, no, they're this age. They only have this much time left. So then you have to, you have to, they have to invest a certain way. That might not be the case, right? That person may view things differently. Maybe that person was a child and during that environment, their dad or their parents were were visionaries at the time. It took advantage of of the down market and the and and, the, and a deep recession or something. And so that child saw something different from their parents. And maybe that so maybe that now adult who's in their sixties or seventies is more aggressive, more advanced, isn't isn't afraid of of pullbacks because their mentality is much different. So I think that's brilliant. I've never actually really gone down that road it's, it's well just awesome. think about this right think about think about there's two examples that I, I i'd like to share is that one is is think about this with regards to time periods and timelines of when they grew up right you know if someone grew up in you know let's call it the 60s 70s maybe early 80s before you know the focus in that time prime was to pay down debt get mortgage like get your mortgage paid off right away right and and that was just the mentality. And if, if if this was someone that was, you know, 15 to 25 that was in that period and saw their parents, like that's instilled in them. And you know, no matter what you do and what you say and what math you put in front of people, they're probably it, they may be like, Yeah, that's nice, but they're probably not gonna really truly believe it because deep down, you really can't change people. You can help them become more self-aware. But so if someone out advisor, if they just don't come in and like, hey, rates are low, you know, you should get leverage. You should get a lot of leverage, right? Because rates are low. It makes so much financial sense. Let me show you this model of what it means to your time. It's going to fall on deaf ears. And so if you really want to help that client, you've got to understand that client, understand where they came from. And you know what? Maybe it's not the right decision to pay off their mortgage from a financial standpoint. 
But you know what it does? It makes them emotionally and psychologically satisfied. And that's going to win you over because nobody cares, no client cares as much about, you know, they, 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 uh, you know, they don't care about the gains as much as the losses. We all know about loss aversion, right? If you look at an S curve, it's a steeper curve on the loss aversion than it is on the gain side. But what they're going to, they're never going to, when the market goes down, and you had to convince them so hardly, so hard to, to keep leverage, they're going to get fearful and they're going to put blame on you. Whereas if the markets go down and they feel satisfied, like you help them find fulfillment or value or psychological comfort, they're not going to worry as much about the market. You can control certain things. There are certain things that you can't control, which are the market. And so I think it's just so valuable to understand that because it's not just about numbers. And that's where I think advisors sometimes get lost at yeah. times. Is is about numbers because I think about like psycho uh, social security is my second example, right? You know, social security we all break it down financially by like you know where is the most where can you get the most you the most money, and it's usually always if you take it at you know seventy, right? That that doesn't mean you get the most money if you live to eighty three or eighty two, like you're gonna have the most money. That, but think about how the conversation changes if you understand the client's values and what they feel would make them fulfilled in life. And you understand that maybe 70 is not the right way. Yeah. Financially it is. But what happens if you're like, you know what, we're going to take it at 62. And this is why I'm not even going to show you numbers because you want to go travel the world. You want to go see where your ancestors were from. You want to take your kids and your grandkids and, and go travel with them while they're still young. Well, think about how many trips you can go on from the age of 63 till 70. You can go on 18 trips. Is that worth it? They would be like, yeah, that's worth it. Okay. Well, then it doesn't matter what's the better financial decision about monetary money. It's a matter of fulfillment because that then you've now changed the conversation to where you're pointing towards something that you can control that's psychologically impactful for that client. That's allowing them to be fulfilled. That's going to keep them from doing something silly with their money when the markets go down, because we all know that the markets are going to go down. That's what this is all about. That's tremendous. Um, I think I hope ever people are taking note of this stuff. Um, you know, and, and I don't want to say you, you, you know, you learned all this. I'm sure you learned a lot of this from your dad. He's been in the business a long time. I see a lot of advisors that I, I work with today, very successful that have never been in a market that goes down, that has gone down. Right. Um, you know, sort of post 2011, Lots of advisors that are running their business, you know, they're, they may have been in the business, they may have just started, but they had no clients or they were short term, right? So that psychology is really important to understand uh, when a client gets wealth. Can we shift gear? I want to shift gears uh, and for the last, you know, 15 minutes or so, because you're doing something and we've talked about your podcast, Bridging the Gap, and your YouTube, right? And the things that you're doing, which is unique to the industry, but I don't think it should be. I think that the industry is behind when it comes to branding your you as an individual, right? As an individual financial advisor, um, and 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 then connecting it to the firm uh, for the purpose of growing your business. I don't think advisors do that well enough. I think firms are behind. More firms are getting there. They're letting advisors do more. Um, if you're an RIA, you can do obviously do a lot more. Uh, than you can if you're wire. But talk to me about the Matt Reiner brand and why you're doing this, right? It's like you're sitting down at the table with with your with your brother and your brother's operating and he's doing all the other things and you're out doing a podcast and you're out doing all your thing, right? 
What's the conversation like when you're saying, listen, this is why we're doing it. This is why I'm building this brand. Um, here's, here's the purpose of what we're doing. Uh, and explain to my, my listeners why it's so important this, in this day and age that they have to get on this bandwagon because, before they get left behind. Yeah, I, I think um, I'll answer all those questions. I think I want to start with why I, I, I want to answer one question that you didn't really ask, but you you alluded to in there is why advisors aren't doing it. And I think it's because we're all risk averse in this industry and we're worried about regulation. And I think that that is a, a, a challenge that we have to be cognizant of. But it's it shouldn't be a challenge that stops you. Right. And and when I um, and and so I think that the way to overcome that is that there's a there's there's compliant ways to do it very easily and and it doesn't you shouldn't be talking about uh, stocks and bonds necessarily right you should be there you, you create connection so why am i doing it is because people don't buy brands people buy people and um and in creating that connection personally with people is what is going to drive business longer term now the challenge with this is that i've been doing this for for a good bit um and when you think about like when i talk to to, to my brother and stuff you know it's it's driving some business but this is a long-term play this is not a short-term play right like you set up a youtube channel i always you know or you set up like a you know you start posting on linkedin or or you set up an instagram like yeah, you know, people feel like that's like the old days of when you set up a website and like everybody felt like, hey, my website's up. The phones are going to be down, right? looking like, at the phone going, why isn't it ringing yet? <laughs> <laughs> you press you press you press like launch on the website and then you're looking at the phone like it just doesn't work that way. It, it, it's a bad it's a matter of consistency. It's a matter of providing value. And, you know, if you think about why I feel this way. And, and I, I'll talk about what it means, I think, to our business longer term is you have to also go back to something that I didn't really allude to of how we started our marketing within Capital Investment Advisors. Our growth in our business started um, when when dad partnered with someone that had a local radio show here back in the early 2000s. And that was the impetus to growing the the business. And, and we still have my business partner now, uh, you know, he, he is a new business partner, he, he, or not, he's new from the guy that he, that met dad, uh, but he's been our business partner for about 13 years now. He's doing the radio. So we still do the radio. He's written a couple of books. I've written a couple of books. And he's focused on clients that are end clients. He talks to the end clients of CIA. And that's the gener that's the the focus. And I I learned from that and I saw how effective that is. And, and why was that effective? Was because every Sunday morning, our team was building a relationship with many people out there on that were listening to this radio station. And we were able to build this, you know, we were able to talk about our family. We were able to talk about the markets, but they felt like they were in our office. And and it was really powerful. And for me, I felt that there's an opportunity for us to go. And, and talk with advisors. And, you know, my focus has always been with the Matt Reiner brand is how do we communicate to advisors? We've learned a lot. We want to be leaders in this industry, seen as innovators, seen as collaborators, seen as community builders for the industry. Because ultimately, our mission is to be able to, we believe that every single person should have access to human financial advice because of the psychological impact and the ability that they have. And we know we would love to be able to be the firm that does it for everybody in the world. That's impossible. So we think that if we can go be the leaders and the innovators and take our knowledge of what we learned to build our business, and we can then you know, go out and be a, a leader and innovator to the community, then we're going to be able to fulfill our mission of bettering 
financial outcomes for individuals because we believe that financial advisors help from a psychological standpoint, along with all the other aspects. And so part of the vision that we have is it's a long-term vision of how do we build this brand that's going towards the market? Because, you know, there, as we've talked about before, there's going to be consolidation in this industry and we want to build trust with individuals that hopefully one day, maybe they want to call us and say, Hey, we would love to be a part part of what you're building at CIA or at Wellis Strategies, which is our other RA, or we want to be a part of what you're doing at Benjamin. And it's, but I don't want it to be a sales job on those. I want to provide value that can help these people build their firms because whether or not they want to come work with us, if they can better their firm, it's going to better the overall you know, view of advisors and build towards that mission. And so we have, you know, we have multiple different types of businesses, right? We have CIA, which is our wealth management firm for, you know, the 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 millionaire next door. We have Wellness Strategies, which is over RIA for the mass affluent. Um, we have Altera, which is a a private investment firm for you know high net worth individuals, ultra high net worth individuals. We have a family office within CIA, and we have a technology company. And each of those businesses have different personnel that we're working towards. And so my mission is, is to build a brand to create that creates value that doesn't... I don't really care what's the outcome for me. It's a matter of, yes, I want to create value. And ultimately, I believe that that's going to pay dividends for a multitude of our businesses over time. Um, but if it doesn't, you know, it creates us in a light of being a leader and an innovator. And that by itself creates uh value to our businesses and so you know it, it, that's the kind of the journey it's a it the, the the reason it's tough for advisors is there's not one-to-one roi and i have to talk to my brother about this as well mitch and and, and we talk about it all the time it's like you know you're spending all this time on it and like i sometimes think about like wow you know you know, you put out a LinkedIn post and you only get like 150 or 300, you know, views of it. You're like, what the hell am I doing? Or like a, a YouTube video and there's only like 20 views of it. You're like, what are you doing? But it's a consistency because then you have those that are, you know, 15, 20,000 views or whatever it may be. And, and you start to build a brand and, you know, the best piece of you know feedback I ever get is when people send me back and be like, "Thanks for this information," and um, and and that's uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I think that's where where you and I are aligned. Um, I've had a lot of people sort of as 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 I've grown our our presence online, um, LinkedIn and Instagram. Why are you doing this? You know, like where's the connect the dot to the revenue? And I have clients obviously that call in from from podcasts and all those other things, right? But it's really about being. Um, on the forefront of of um, being an, an industry expert, paying it forward with advice and guidance, um, and what advisors need to understand, which you clearly do, and and I'm sure you, it sounds like you've had some conversations with your brother over time about being patient about it. It's a really broader tactic for your your what I call your sort of your online presence in this day and age. You meet with somebody. One of the first things they're going to do when they walk away from you is look you up. Right. And what does your online presence look like and tell you, tell them about you. Um, and it's, it's, I didn't, I didn't know about the radio show thing. So it's so cool. But you're saying that because I've tried to get advisors that I thought have unique stories and are unique people. I'm like, you need to do a podcast. Podcast is like the, is like the new version of the radio show. Right. Because on the radio show, you got to have conversations and the more you did, the more, the looser they were. And the people that they got to know who you were as an individual, not like, oh, he's really smart. He's got this degree and that degree, and he knows all about modern portfolio theory. They don't care about that stuff, right? 
they they get to know you and they remember who you are as an individual and your family and they remember stories about you're talking about your dad or whatever it is, right? And so and then and that's why they want to do business with you. Not because you're smarter than the next guy, because most advisors in this industry are smart people, right? Yeah. And the services and the products that we have to offer you have to offer are all the same. And so what's the separator? And so podcasts and YouTube channels and it doesn't have to be fancy, right? You pick up your phone and you you do a recording and some of my best some of my best uh posts are me recording content when I'm in my boxing gym on my phone because I had a great thought, right? Because it's a really it's really about the content that you're putting out to the audience. So for advisors that you're listening to this thing, don't get all caught up in your head about what you should be putting out. Obviously you can't put out stuff that your firm wouldn't approve, right? Don't talk about you know, buying this stock and buying that stock. It's the other stuff. It's the softer stuff. It's the psychology stuff. It's it's telling your story about a client that you just helped, you know, solve a problem with their kid going to school or, you know, retiring early, right? Going through an analysis and helping an advisor, a client make the decision to retire early because they wanted to travel to Italy or whatever it is. That's the kind of stuff that they want to hear. And I'm I'm really proud that you're doing that because I just don't I I see some more and more, primarily in the RIA space first, uh, but I just don't see enough advisors telling their stories and building their brand, separating themselves from the firm that they're at. You know, and I wrote this down: people don't buy brand, they buy people. That's tremendous. And so you know you have to create a story that makes someone want to buy you. They want to call you up. Um, and nowadays, clients are are used to not having having the advisor right right down the street because of in, you know Zoom and COVID and all that other stuff. Um, they are more than happy to work with somebody if they've gotten to know them over time because they're following your stuff online. Maybe they see interactions that you're having with clients called sort of like the Jerry Maguire thing. You know, at the end, Troy Aikman says to the other guy, Cooch or whatever his name is. Uh, why don't we have that relationship, right? And he goes, like, go over to hug him. Like, that's what you're trying to get to. Um, and I think the more clients get to know who you are, um, the better. And, and and you made this point, too. If you're, if you're a practice where you're trying to hire advisors, right, you're trying to recruit advisors to your firm, it's the same thing, right? Yeah, there's payouts and all that other things, but it's really about who are they going to work with. And they need to know who you are. Um, as a principal of a firm, if if you're trying to get and trying to attract people to your firm, and if you have no brand presence and you they look online, and and you and you don't see that as an important thing, um, I always say that what are the other things that you're not going to pay pay attention to at the firm that you're not doing if you don't view that as as an important part of uh, building the company. So, you know that that's such an. I just want to touch on one thing that you mentioned because it's a vulnerability. I think is something that the advisors have, have difficulty with is there's that soft skill because we're, we're analytical in nature. Like, I mean, I'm very analytical and, and it's taken me time to, to kind of open up, but I've also been very, I've, I've also got to know myself and go deep on that. Right. With a lot of different aspects, the vulnerability I think is so important for this to work. Uh, because if you're just trying to sell and get an immediate outcome, it's not going to work, but you've got to be vulnerable because if you, you know, I always tell people that uh, as advisors, we have to remember that our clients are basically walking in 
to our office and in in theory just like in naked like they're walking in naked to our office like walking into a random room because they're telling us everything we're asking them to tell us everything but we don't put the same onus on us to tell them about us not we don't have to tell them about our financial situation we don't have to tell them but we can tell them about times when we made mistakes we can tell them about our family we can tell them about our trips we can tell them about all that stuff because that creates a relationship and that's the one thing out of many that I, you know, I feel is probably the highest is that I take away from my dad is I used to sit in his meetings and 95% of the meetings were talking about just like random stuff, like family, like sports, like trips, boats, cars, whatever. And then 5% of the meeting was like talking about the portfolio. And that's when something like went off in my head, like there's something here. Those clients love him, love him. And there's a reason not because of how he performed the performance of the portfolio it's because they love the guy right he's a great person and i think that we get caught up in the weeds of like we've got this great strategy or <laughs> this and that but if you can get away from that and just be you you have friends everybody has friends why are they friends with you it's not because you know more than them it's because you can relate to them and so you've got to find a way to relate and i'm able to relate to a 65 year old you know, widow or couple, because we, we have families, we were young at one time, like there's an ability to do it. And, um, I think, but being vulnerable and talking about your not being shy about, you know, your challenges, like my 70 year old clients, I talked to my, my three and a half year old son who has tantrums and like, they're like, they get it, Yeah, it's right. Cool, but they, they, they see me as a real person. And I think that that's so important, especially when it comes to uh, having to manage through volatility, uh, the, uh, something that you can't control, which is the markets. Awesome, awesome. Listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna leave it at that. We can go on for a lot longer. Um, I think that's a lot for for uh, the audience to take in. It's really important stuff that people need to understand. So, um, you know, for for our, my clients and my listeners that are um, that are listening right now, how, how do they go about finding more information on on you, your brand, what your YouTube channel? Um, if they're interested in joining a firm like yours, you know, where give us some idea where they can go. Yeah, so I'm I'm active on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube uh, at Matt Reiner on all those. Um, and also, you can go to mattreiner.com. That's where we we post. Sign up for my newsletter. We send out a lot of great content uh, on a continuous basis. And yeah, message me. Uh, it's Matt at mattreiner.com, and uh, you know, happy to chat with you about anything. And so that's where. Uh, we're posting everything. Awesome. I appreciate it very much. Thank you uh, to my audience. Thanks for joining. If you're new to the podcast uh, and YouTube channel, uh, you know, thanks for coming on board. Don't forget to check out my Instagram account at franklarosa.elite. Um, also on, on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, check out his podcast, uh, Bridging the Gap. Um, it really, there's some great content and again, podcast and YouTube channel. So it's, it, there's, they're both out there. I like personally, I like YouTube channel. I like, to, I like to see who's talking, so it's really great. Uh, Matt, thank you very much. I appreciate your time, um, and I'm excited. We'll, we'll do this again for sure. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.